Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features senior pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. And now, here's Pastor Eric. actually uh, quite easy uh, to read. I don't know if you can see the, the title there. Uh, it says uh, Exceptions to the Ten Commandments. Just let me show you this, this great book. Are you ready? Yeah, Exceptions to the Ten Commandments right there. Didn't, doesn't take you long, does it, to, to read that what, where the road, uh, the rubber meets the road is, is actually following what it has to say. This morning, uh, I'm going to begin, I think, a two-part series on the, the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. Exodus is all about coming out and coming in. For the Israelites, coming out of Egypt and coming in to God's presence. Even for us, coming out of sin and coming in to salvation. So think about Exodus coming out and coming in. In fact, the word Exodus means going out or the way out. If you were to study Exodus, you could divide Exodus into three parts, three sections. Chapters 1 through 18, deliverance. Chapters 19 to 24, covenant. And chapter 25 to 40, worship. The first 18 chapters are all about deliverance. Let my people go. Parting of the Red Sea, right? Rescue. Starting in chapter 19 to 24, it's all about the covenant. And then those more difficult chapters, 25 to 40, are all about some of the worship and, and how that was to take part. And so this morning as we open a two-part series on the Ten Commandments, I want us to look uh, at just the first of the four commandments, the first four. And we're going to look at two main points this morning. First, number one, I want to begin with this, the foundation of the Ten Commandments. If you have a note sheet, you can make some of your own notes there. There are a few more there in the back. I encourage that if it's helpful. If not, don't use it, right? We want to look, number one, at the foundation of the Ten Commandments. Here is the very foundation of the Ten Commandments. The redemption relationship is the foundation of the commandments, right? I told you the first 18 chapters were deliverance and then covenant and then worship. And in that covenant section we find the commandments. The redemption relationship is the very foundation of God's commandments, of the Ten Commandments. If you're taking notes, you can look at this next slide and you can write some of these things down. Wanting to note that deliverance comes before covenant. In Exodus, deliverance comes before the Mosaic covenant. Now, God had already established the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis. But deliverance comes before covenant. God saves us before we enter into this, this new covenant. Deliverance comes before covenant. I want you to note this, that redemption comes before rules. It's so important. 
We don't keep the rules in order to be redeemed. you got the cart before the horse. Redemption comes before rules. We could say it this way. The commands are based on the covenant. The covenant's not based on the commands. The commands are based on the covenant. You have creation, and then you have covenant, and then you have commands. So deliverance comes before the covenant. Redemption comes before the rules. The commands are based on the covenant. As we open to Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20, we see the Israelites at Mount Sinai. In Mount Sinai, the commandments are given, and the commandments are based on a covenant relationship. The actual covenant is made on day 50 after leaving Egypt. And the people remained there at Mount Sinai for about a year, 11 months and 6 days. We could say it this way. The covenant creates the relationship. If you're taking notes there. The covenant creates the relationship and then the commandments regulate the relationship. The covenant creates it. But the commandments just regulate the relationship, shows you how it's supposed to be. Again, the rules are based on the relationship. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. Because I am the Lord your God, because I did deliver you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Rules are based on relationship. And some great points worth noting is this. Always, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. In parenting and spiritual life, it, right? Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. But rules with relationship should lead, often leads to right living. They're just principles. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Rules with relationship leads to right living, for the most part. But we're all going to rebel. For who's kept all ten of the commandments? Even Israel would rebel, even with the relationship. But when that relationship is functioning as it should... And the covenant is, is remembered, right? This, this love relationship, things go well. And so this is the foundation of the commandments. We really have to bring this up before we begin into the thou shall not do this, right? Following these commandments was and is a part of the love relationship with God. Exodus 24, 7, Deuteronomy 4, 8, and Deuteronomy 4, 12 and 13, and verse 23, and verse 31, and chapter 5, verses 2 and 4 in Deuteronomy. So the pattern, what's this? Redemption, relationship, and then rules. Redemption, relationship, and rules. I hope that you know this. The Ten Commandments were never meant to bring salvation to Israel or to us. Salvation is only by God's grace. Salvation is only found by God's grace through faith. And so it's so important to bring up the covenant, to bring up the relationship, to bring up grace, to, to bring up that, that we don't do these things in order to have a relationship or in order to earn grace or, or to earn God's favor. God, Israelites already had it. They had already been delivered. There was already a covenant there. This just regulated for them how this relationship was to work uh, by grace through faith. But there were some uh, truths that they needed to abide by. So before we look at Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, let's pray once more a very old Anglican prayer. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us.
for your son's sake. Amen. Exodus 19 gives the context, so let's read the whole chapter. Ready? On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and they came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen, past tense, what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and he called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. You see, they're making a covenant relationship. Caesarean vassal relationship. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them, set them apart today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set limits for all the people around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. No, no sexual relationships. On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke And God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look. And many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying set limits around the mountain and consecrate it and the Lord said to him go down and come up bringing Aaron with you but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them so Moses went down to the people and told them Exodus 20 and God spoke all these words saying I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery You shall have no other gods before me or above me or besides me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image 
or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. We'll stop there. This is God's word. So we've noticed the foundation of the Ten Commandments. You hear me read it in Exodus 19. Let me give you two quick notes about the covenant. A, the covenant creates the relationship. You see that in chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be, creates this relationship, treasured possession among all the peoples. All the earth is mine. You shall be to me, Peter references this, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. So the covenant creates the relationship. Israel would now have this exalted status. He continues to, to write about that. B, the covenant calls for obedience. A, the covenant creates a relationship, but B, the covenant calls for obedience. You see that in verse 5. You will, you shall indeed obey my voice. Uh, obedience is required. Now, as we begin to study the Ten Commandments, it's really important to notice that actually none of the ten were permissible before Exodus 20. It wasn't like that they were going, oh, this is a new commandment. Like, before, we were free to have murder and adultery, right? Cain couldn't kill Abel. Murder had always been wrong. The Ten Commandments were always binding. The Ten Commandments already existed. They were already in effect. Idolatry was already wrong and commanded against. Murder was already wrong and commanded against. And so, uh, pretty important to, to notice. So, this is the foundation of the, the commandments. Second point, where we'll spend some time, let's look at the features of the commandments. Let's take them and examine them, and this morning we'll just do the first four, looking at some of the features of the Ten Commandments. Did you know they're actually never called the Ten Commandments in Scripture? Scripture never calls them the Ten Commandments. You never see the Ten Commandments in in the New Testament referred to that way. Exodus chapter 20 verse 1 calls them this, these words. Exodus chapter 20 verse 1, and God spoke all these words. They were actually called the Ten Words. So to be more correct, you would say not the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Words. Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. Exodus 34, 28. It's a summary statement. So Moses was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Words. It says the Ten Commandments, but it footnotes it. And it actually lets you know in Hebrew it is ten words. 
right? So even there, we need a footnote because ESV footnotes it in your, in your Bible. It's called the, the Ten Words. And that's what we're going to be looking at. The Ten Commandments are sometimes called the Decalogue, right? Deca Ten, the, the, log, the Logos, the Word, Ten Words, the, the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. But if you were to take the Old Testament, the Old Testament actually contains 613 total commandments in the Torah, in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible. 613, there were 248 positive do's and 365 negative don'ts, one for each day of the year. But we're going to look at the, the 10 words, not the 613 commandments based on the covenant. Important to notice, too, that when you study the Old Testament, you study Old Testament law, the Old Testament law can be divided into three categories. The moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. Do we keep the ceremonial law today? No. It would be blasphemous for me to sacrifice a bull on the altar today. It would make a mockery of Jesus' work. We don't keep the ceremonial law, but the Old Testament consisted of ceremonial law. The civil law, we don't necessarily keep the civil law today. It applied to Israel. Where there are principles that maintain and are based on the moral, then we would keep it. But the civil and ceremonial laws were kind of abolished with the New Testament. The part that we keep is the moral law. The moral law. And so Old Testament law consists of three parts. Moral, civil, ceremonial. Some of the features that we need to talk about when we talk about the ten words. There were two tablets, we're told. Probably actually two tablets of the same ten. Not like one through five on this one and six through ten on this one. But two Tablets, the same ten, not partial tablets, but two as in two copies for both. It's the way you would make a covenant. You have a copy and I have a copy. The Lord and, and Israel entering into this covenant relationship. There are similarities even in Exodus 20, chapter, uh, or excuse me, verse 2, when he says to the people, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of, of Egypt out of the house of slavery. It's, it's similar to uh, the Lord's call to Abraham when he came to him and, and said, I am the, the Lord your God, right? I am bringing you out, Abraham, from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Similarities in this. So as we look at the ten, the, these ten are actually just an extension of God's grace. How He's already been gracious to Abraham and the Israelites and God's people. As, how He's already been gracious to them, removing them out of Pharaoh's uh, kingdom and, and entering them into or near the, the promised land. These ten are ex extension of God's grace. And when it comes to the commandments, the commands show us what God's kingdom is like. God's kingdom's not like Pharaoh's kingdom. It's not like the kingdoms of the world. It's, it's different. These commandments show us who God is, who, who He is, and, and what His kingdom is like. We see even in these commandments His attributes. They are commands, right? They're not invitations. I invite you to do this. <laughs> I invite you to worship me as the one true. They're not suggestions, right? Don't commit adultery as long as you're pleased with your spouse. They're not suggestions. They're not invitations. They are commandments. And notice how the list begins. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The list begins with God identifying Himself as Deliverer. I am the Deliverer. 
I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. I am your savior. I am your rescuer. Let me begin by identifying myself so even the Ten Commandments we, we learn about God. Who He is. What He's like. Each of the commandments actually points, if you could take it further, to an aspect of God. Of God's character. But this morning we look at the first four. You could summarize the first four this way. Our duty to God. If you're taking notes, duty God. Our duty to God. They are vertical. I love what uh, Dr. Vodi Balkum says. He now pastors and uh, runs a seminary in Zambia. He says this about the first four. I put it on your handout. It's pretty good. We must worship the one true God rightly, reverently, and regularly. Dr. Balkum did a series, big, big black guy, uh, played football, thunder voice, but a super wise man. He did a series on just the first four called the, the Law of God, and he took two Sundays on each commandment. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's, that's tough. That's a lot of information. Two Sundays on you shall not murder, right? Um, two Sundays, excuse me, on, it was on the first four, so I shouldn't use that one as an example. Two, two Sundays on don't take the Lord's name in vain. Or two Sundays on I am the Lord your God. I've been listening to, to some of those just as prime for the pump. But he says this, in, in that one statement you see the first four commandments. I'll point them on my finger. You shall worship the one true God rightly, no idols, right? Reverently, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And regularly keep the Sabbath, make it holy. Pretty good. Shall worship the one true God rightly, reverently, and regularly. Our duty to God. So let's look at them. Commandment number one, verse three. You shall have no other gods before me, or it could be translated besides me, or, or above me. Besides me, there's no other God. You shall have no other gods before me. And God spoke all these words, right? Based on this covenant, this relationship. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Literally, you shall not prefer other gods to me. You shall not prefer other gods to me. This is about worship, right? This is about religion. This is monotheism, which is all the Old Testament, which is Judaism, right? Monotheism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. There is one God. There's not many gods, right? That would be the kingdom of Pharaoh. Egypt had many gods, right? But God's kingdoms, this, look, there's only one true God. Worship God to the exclusion of others, to the exclusion of anything else. Worship God, God alone, exclusively. He's one and only. He's not one of many. He is the only true God. Our accuracy matters. Right? Accuracy matters. We need to be accurate with who God is and what, what the Bible says about Jesus. Uh, accuracy is important. It's, it's not many gods. It's not the God that we create. Right? Accuracy matters. It's not the Jesus I create. It's not the God I create. Well, my God is pretty much just like the God of the Bible, except my God would never send anybody to hell. Then you're not serving the one true God because accuracy matters, right? Uh, well, my Jesus, um, he never, you know, whatever, would never judge. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
then you're serving a different Jesus. Maybe really close to the accurate and true Jesus, but right, uh, no gods. You don't get to make God into what you want Him to be. So accuracy matters. You shall have no other gods. You don't, we don't make God, Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit, into what we want the Holy Trinity to be. Right? It's, it's God and God alone. You shall have no other gods. This also means this. There can be no syncretism. No mixing in other gods. No mixing in false gods. And it means this. You don't get to change gods and go back and forth. Well, today, Adonai, Yahweh, but now I'll try this religion and for a while and now I'm into you know trying the Hindu way or but now I'm gonna go back no now I'm now I'm back to God and, and the one no you don't get to practice syncretism and mix in other gods and false gods you don't get to go back and forth because that's called spiritual adultery you shall not prefer any other gods right well honey I'm, I'm with you but this week I'm gonna go be with her but then I'm gonna come back to you right but that doesn't work right God doesn't doesn't want that no no other gods we could ask this question when we come to this one. What are the little g-gods that we're tempted to turn our affections toward? A little g-god of power or pleasure or possessions. This only God is the one that gets to rule. The one that gets to decide. The one that has the authority. We've been looking at that theme. The one with authority can command, right? Authority and commandments go together. And so He alone is God. He has the authority. He can make the commandments. He can give the commandments. You know, this first commandment is also a great case for missions. Yes, we have the Great Commission. But even in the Old Testament, this tells us to go to the nations. Why? There are no other gods. We need to tell them. They need to know. We need to witness. We need to go and tell them there is only one true God. Submit and, and worship the one true God. So it even points us to evangelism and missions. There's probably a lot that we could say about that verse. You shall have no other gods before me. Already existed. <laughs> Just continuing here with this covenant. Worship God. Don't mix. Don't change. Don't go back and forth. The second commandment is found in verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, so no idols. Any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, in the skies, or in heaven, or uh, could be an angel, could be a bird, or that's in the earth beneath, an animal, doesn't matter, or that's in the water, could be a fish, or under the earth, whatever. You shall not bow down to them, goodness gracious, no, or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Please know envy and jealousy are two different terms. But I'm jealous for you. I'm, I, I, I am the one true God. I desire your worship and you alone. Don't bow to them. Right, I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Because a lot of times they'll follow in their father's footsteps, but showing shed steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This one says no idols, no wrong gods. So hear this, the first commandment deals with the object of worship. The second deals with the mode of worship or the means of worship. First commandment deals with the object of worship, God and God alone. The second deals with the mode or means of worship. You're not even going to worship me with idols. You can't worship the one true God in this way, with, by this means, not with images, right? So the second commandment tells us that there are limitations in our worship. 
I don't get to decide how I worship Yahweh. I worship Him the way He told me to worship Him. The Israelites didn't get to say, well, God, we think that what we'll do is worship you with this type of sacrifice. And God says, no, you worship me my way. Right? What happened when they said, God, we think we'll worship you as uh, we create you as an idol, a golden calf. No, that doesn't work either. Right? So this says, no right God, but wrong way. Right? The first commandment says, you've got to have the one and only correct God. And the second one comes and says, well, you can't have the right God, but do it the wrong way. You have to do it His way. So we could say this, there's no self-willed worship where we just get to come up with our own will of how we're going to, to do things. God defines what's right and acceptable in life, in worship. God defines what is right and acceptable, not your feelings and not your gut. But it just feels like worship. In my gut, it just feels like worship when I'm doing such and such. That could be dangerous. Right? That's how a charismatic extreme gets off into dangerous territory or how a cult gets off. And, but we're worshiping God, but we, uh, when we do this, it just feels like it's right. Is it? Did God permit that? Did God uh, uh, command that, that worship look like that and, and function like that? So the second commandment says you don't just get to approach God however you want. Um, not even with images. You know what Christianity is meant to be? It's meant to be wordy. It's meant to be about uh, language. It's more verbal than visual for a reason. That's why we don't have any images or pictures of Jesus. It's why He came in the time that He did. It's why He came in a time when things were oral tradition. It's, Christianity is meant to be verbal and, and language-based. It's not meant to be, oh, I worship this image, right? And I bow to this. And if the lights are right and if the emotion's right and maybe I can dance and wave a flag and, oh, that feels right. It's Static, right? Whoa, whoa, does God right, permit that? Is that the way God described it to work? But it feels like we're worshiping God when we get all the visual in and all the emotional in. And the second commandment says, whoa, whoa, be careful not right God in, in your own way. You don't get to make up you know, how, you, how you do it. What God is saying in the second commandment is this. God's not going to have any stand-ins. You don't get to stand in uh, idle. So we learn about this. We learn about proper religion. Now you know about the idols. We've preached on idolatry many times. Culture today allows idolatry. It actually encourages you to make your own idols. But what the second commandment says is this. kind of goes back to even the first. They build on one another. We don't make God. God makes us. We don't get to make God. Or make God. In what we, he makes us. He, he tells us the way life is to be lived and the way worship is to be done and the, the way we're supposed to, to think. He tells us truth, right? He is the authoritative, sovereign one. Commandment number three. Can I, can I, okay, I'm rabbit trail. 
can I say this? I think it's a danger in our area, uh, in, in, in northwest Georgia. And I'm, I'm just ranting a little bit right here. Um, I've seen in our area where Christian people, where Christianity in northwest Georgia will sometimes put more, uh, how would you say, like give more credence or they would, they would put more weight on feelings and the experience than, than the intellectual truth, right? And that, that's, so, that's dangerous. That's really sad, but they say, but, well, we, we just got a lot of people that, well, we don't know much about the Word, but we just, we just go by our feelings, and so if it feels good, and so the intellectual side of Christianity is like, well, you, you, you guys that study and you take it too deep and you, you, know, you preach you know, these, you, you really get into the doctrine and the, and the meat of that. Well, I mean, that's good and all. But, but here you know, in, in northwest Georgia, man, we just, it, it's, we just love God from the heart and do the feeling. And, the, and this is kind of what operates us. And that's dangerous, right? It's, it, God is, whoa, 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 but I'm, I've given you the word. And I've created you to love me with all your mind too. And, and you need to go deep. And, and if, if, if deep and if you get into this and it starts to, to caution about some of this of your feelings, then you go with this, right? You, you, you bank on the, the truth and you say, wait a minute, this might feel right, but what is right? What is truth? A rant for another day. Number three of time. The third commandment is verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So this one, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. This is about reverence. So do you see Dr. Bauckham's outline? Worship the one true God. Rightly the second one where I've talked about. Now in this one, reverently. Reverently. Because not taking the Lord's name in vain is about reverence. It's about holiness. God is holy. His name is holy. It represents His character. He is holy. There is none like our God. So it tells us that there is a right way and there's a wrong way to call on the name of the Lord. There's a respectful way to call on the name of the Lord. And there's a wrong way to do it. Now we could talk, you know, all, all that we know about, you know, don't say, oh my God, and don't do OMG, you know, taking the, the Lord's name in vain, or don't say Jesus Christ in a, you know, in a, in a way. I mean, uh, you know, we could get into all the, the, you know, the language there, the technical things. But, but let's even look at this a little differently and, and try to go even a little deeper. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So this could even be three things. Number one, no false oaths. Well, I swear to God that this, I'm taking an oath in His name, but I'm, I break that oath. That would be taking the Lord's name in vain. When you, when you make a false oath in His name, the name of the Lord God or the name of Jesus Christ or upon the Bible, which is the Word of God, no false oaths. Secondly, no false claims. So sometimes we take the name of the Lord in vain when we say, God told me this, but He really didn't. It's taking the Lord's name in vain because you're attaching the name of the Lord to something that wasn't true. 
taking the Lord's name in vain is not just saying, oh my God. It's more than that. It's saying, I promise this to the Lord. I take this vow in His name or I make this vow. Then you're taking His name in vain. Or it's saying, God told me this. The Bible says this and it doesn't. You've taken His name in vain. You've taken Him in vain. Uh, like the third thing is flippant use. So I just kind of give them Fs. N- no false oaths, no false claims, and no flippant use. You don't use God's name flippantly. One even said you could take God's name in vain if, if you pray and you just, God, Father God, uh, Lord God, uh, God, and you use God as a verbal pause, taking the Lord's name in vain. You're just kind of flippantly using it, right? Now culture, we know, uses the name of the one true God in vain, don't they? I can't even watch SportsCenter because they're putting a terrible slang of, of God's name in vain with, you know, with, the, with the guy, that you know, the muscle college game day guy. That's, you can't watch their shows because they're, they're taking the Lord's name in vain. We don't want to use the, the name Jesus Christ in vain either. Christ or... Right? And it's not just about, like the cults love to take these commands and misuse them. Jehovah's Witness will do this one. You must use the name Jehovah. Anything else, you're taking the Lord's name in vain, right? Wow. Right? And then the Seventh-day Adventists want to do number four, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? Uh, people will love to, to abuse the, the Ten Commandments. But we don't, we don't use His name in vain. It's all about reverence for God and, and the things of God and what we attach God to, Right? So what's the right way to use the name? Uh, Dr. Ford, way back in the day, a Southern Baptist preacher in Texas, gave three Ps. I thought they were worth borrowing. I won't say still because I shall not. (laughs) Next week. Um, uh, What's the right way to use the name? Three Ps. Profession, prayer, and praise. Use the name of God when you are professing Him. You're witnessing, you're, you're calling on Him, you're praying to Him, you're, you're praising Him. These are right ways to, to use His name. Flippant use, no. False claims, no. Attaching things, making a, a vow or a promise, no. What else represents His name? Because it's more than just the name, right? His Word represents His name. Don't, don't take His name in vain. You know, also, don't, not taking the Scriptures in vain. You know, Taking God in vain, just to not reverently, not treating the things of God. The name encompassed everything in a person, especially in Jewish culture. So any of the things of God, we don't take it in vain. We don't take the Lord's Day in vain. We don't take our worship in vain. We don't take our offering in vain. Right? Everything is, is, should be reverent and holy. It's not just about, right, OMG. Don't you see how this one goes far, far more? Revere the things of God. So commandment three, don't take the name in vain. Commandment four, don't take the day in vain. So look at the fourth one. It gives us the first positive. There are a couple of positives. Remember, honor. But most of them are you shall not, right? Here's the first positive. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. If you're going to revere the name, you need to revere the day. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. That existed for Adam, existed for creation. 
But the seventh day is a Shabbat, a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. But you don't get to tell your son or your daughter to do it. And you certainly don't even get to tell your male or female servants to do it. It's not okay for them either. It's even not okay for your livestock or the alien, the sojourner who's within your gate. See all that? Why? What is this rooted in? It's rooted in redemption, but it's actually ultimately rooted in creation. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and He made it holy. The fourth commandment says this, remember the Sabbath day. This is about recognizing rest. It's about recognizing holy days, right? It's about rest. We're commanded to. It's about holy days. We're commanded to keep them. We're to follow God's pattern. He says, right, in six days God created, but He he rested. Follow God's pattern. Rest and worship. That's what this one is about. It's about rest and worship. Did you know this is the longest of the ten? It's the longest of the the Ten Commandments. It's actually mentioned the most often in the Scriptures. Number four. Grounded, as we said, in creation. It's about consistent worship. Right? Weekly. Consistently worship. It's about consistent rest. Every Sabbath. Rest. Every Sabbath. Worship. And it's also about renewal. Jesus renewed people on the Sabbath, right? He would renew them. He would give them life and healing. But the Sabbath here is it's about limits. You have six days and then there's a limit. And what he's saying is, look, a person must keep limits. Now, for ages, right, the people of God in the New Covenant have kept Uh, Sabbath by keeping the first day of the week, the Resurrection Sunday, the the Lord's Day. You see in Acts, the the disciples were meeting on the the first day of the week and and we'll kind of keep with with that, right? It's it's something that I'm going to assume because that would be a long, long sermon and we're out of time, uh, even for that one, right? But we know that we are to keep the Lord's Day. We're to keep it holy. It's to be set apart. So can I ask this, you this question? Do people know that Sunday is special to you? Most people know nothing about a sacred day. Our culture rejects this. There are no sacred days. Um, most people don't know anything. You, you guys older than me growing up, you knew how sacred Sunday would be and you've seen our culture just kind of move away from that. Even as a teenager, I, I would tell the, the people that I work with at the mall, look, I don't, I don't work on Sundays. They would press it. They would try, you know, but then they finally learned, look, teenage Eric isn't going to come to work on a Sunday, right? Not every now and then if I had something, right? It wasn't totally legalistic. If, if I could work something uh, in the evening I, I, where I needed to do a floor change or something, uh, we could do that. But it's about, hey, I want people to know that this is something sacred. This is something special. How do we keep this commandment today? Keep it set apart. Keep it holy. Keep it different. Keep it set apart. Right? With all of these, we could be legalistic. We want to go beyond the letter of the law to the heart of the law. I'm told that in uh, Jerusalem or in Israel, uh, to this day, there are 
in, at least in certain places and in one hotel, I suppose, uh, two elevators. The normal elevator and the Shabbat elevator. And the Shabbat elevator was the Sabbath elevator. And when you got on it to go up or down, it would stop at every floor. And the reason is because on the Sabbath, the real strict Jews didn't want to push the button because that would be working. So you could take, everybody else who doesn't care could take the normal elevator, but they also had the Shabbat elevator, so you could get up and down in these tall buildings, but you didn't want to work on Sunday, and pushing the button would be work, so instead you just have to stop at every building, right? It's legalism, right? So all of these can be right, made into legalistic things. You know how the Jews did that, even in New Testament times, with don't carry dentures, that's carrying a burden on the Sabbath, and right, you can't do that. Or don't drag the chair across the ground because that might be making a rut. And that'd be farming on the Sabbath, so don't do that, right? You're thinking, what in the world? Right? It's not about all the, right, the, the technicalities, but we go to, what does it mean? Worship the one true God, rightly, reverently, regularly. Right? Remember the, the Sabbath. B.B. Warfield, who was a a great Presbyterian pastor. And I believe he may have taught at Princeton way back in the day. I mean, this is, you know, early 1900s, late 1800s, I guess. B.B. Warfield, you'd have to look him up. But he once said this. I thought it was worth quoting. Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with Him and He brought the Lord's Day out of the grave with Him on the resurrection morning. So we have the Lord's Day. Let's, let's keep it reverent. Let's keep it holy and, and set apart. Remember the Sabbath. As I close, Sabbath means ceasing. And what we do is, as New Testament people, is we cease from our justification by works and we rest in justification by faith. In Galatians and Romans, we learn that we're justified by faith, not by keeping the law. Romans 8 3 through 4, listen. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Praise be to God. Galatians 2.16 For we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed on Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Galatians 2.21, hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He reminds us of the curse in Galatians 3, 10, and 11. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Hear the word of God in Galatians 3, 24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we... Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Making Christ Known. We invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from Adairsville Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org.
Thanks for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.